Welcome to the Sheer Law Group's podcast of Truth Serum, law, real estate, and everything else that matters. Sheer Law Group represents lenders, landlords, and investors throughout the state of California, with offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Orange County, California. Laws change daily. Economic trends change faster than at any time in history. Ignorance is not bliss, and the unwary and unprepared get punished if they fail to keep up. If you want insightful information on issues of interest to the real estate lender, landlord, or investor, you've come to the right place. Add on some colorful commentary on everything else that matters, and you're now ready for Truth Serum with your host, Spencer Shear. With credit card debt exploding, interest rates rising, and banks failing, you may not think that title insurance and national settlement services are a big concern to consumers and lenders. But just the opposite is true. In many instances, knowing what kind of title insurance to obtain or when to file a title claim and how to use title companies to protect both lenders and borrowers that are subject to a lawsuit can be a game changer that will save your legal hide. For lenders, GSEs, and investors who are now sitting on toxic loan portfolios that may have been in forbearance or workout status for years, the day of reckoning may be coming. Just as free and easy money masked a multitude of problems for banks that invested poorly in T-bills and T-notes, so the other shoe may drop as lenders sitting on non-performing commercial and residential real estate loans, as well as lenders and GSEs holding unsecured PPP and EIDL loans given in the pandemic may have to face the music. The music may be singing that the assets aren't worth nearly as much as they're booked for on the balance sheet. Join me as I interview Randy Fernando of Property IQ Management as we discuss these issues and how you can protect and prepare and whether the current and recent failures of SVB, Signature Bank, and the fire sale of Credit Suisse are just the tip of the iceberg. Truth Serum wants to thank Hartwood House for becoming a sponsor of the Truth Serum podcast. Hartwood House is a world-class medical detoxification facility that's located in Marin County, California. Alcohol or drug addiction doesn't have to destroy your life or the ones you love. There is hope. For more information about Hartwood House, go to www.heartwooddetox.com. That's www.heartwooddetox.com. Hartwood House where addiction meets compassion and recovery. Randy Fernando, you're the CEO of Property IQ National Settlement Services, a company providing nationwide settlement services to lenders, GSEs, and investors looking to strategically review and analyze their commercial and residential collateral. They do this by, you do this by reviewing title and the current value of current liens on lenders' collateral so they can determine how best to manage the default and liquidation process. You've worked in the title industry for over 30 years, from title searcher to examiner to advisory title officer. You're experienced in review of trustees' services and default management. You've worked for many national known title companies, including 
Chicago title, and Old Republic title. Welcome, Randy Fernando. Thank you, Mr. Spencer. How are you today? I'm really privileged and honored to share the screen with you. Good. Good to see you. Let's talk title first and then get into default management and the tsunami of commercial loans that are likely going to go into default later this year. How's that? Absolutely. Um, All right, so well, let's, let me go. Let me start. Let me set the table a little bit and then you opine. Sure. Is Because uh, a lot of people are not really familiar with title. They may generally touch it here and there if they make a loan or buy a property. But let's do some background on title issues and when you need title insurance and when you don't. So what, what are the most common title claims that you would run across that would cause people to want title insurance? Believe it or not, um, this, the low-hanging fruit on this thing is taxes. Uh, from my experience, uh, a lot of the, when there's a sale transaction happening, um, whether it's right in between or the, or the taxes being paid, that's the most common because it's the easiest to pick off. Sometimes escrow delays it and there's a penalty uh, because they didn't catch it in time and didn't get, escrow didn't roll out that tax payment or the prior seller didn't take care of the taxes if they're not really embedded in their mortgage, you know, impounds and so on. Um, but in this particular case, uh, that's been probably in my uh, title industry when we have these different underwriter meetings. It says the simplest things, you know, that you don't expect. So starting with that, I would say that's the most prominent. But overall, when you get into the deeper picture of what's happening, losses can happen from fraud, uh, where there's an exchange of title and somebody forgot to divest an interested spouse or a common interest holder or, or a situation where you have an heir uh, that's waiting to get through a probate case. But simplest things of, of those, you would think, ah, that's coming out through a probate case. That gets complicated. But when it's husband and wife and there's a joint tenancy involved and somebody passes and that estate doesn't carry over because they didn't have vested title, the way it should be and when they got the title policy. That's going to be a part of the problem. And of course, the mortgages, sometimes you miss the lien, miss a payoff. That's why title insurance is really important in the front end when you get your loan. Lenders won't even let you go in to a pro to, a, to purchasing a property if they're doing a loan without getting a title policy. Good. So let's talk, like the average person, again, thinking of like a consumer uh, residential home purchaser, they're not really going to care. They just they, they see it as a requirement. But let's discuss right. cloud on title. So let's say there are one of these things that pop up, uh, taxes that aren't mm -hmm. taken care of, or uh, the property is not vested correctly in the in the proper entity. Uh, it puts a cloud on title. Why is that going to affect the consumer? Why do they care if there's a cloud on title? Why do they that, need title insurance? The, the cloud on, uh, on title seems to be such a global word that's used in the title industry, but the cloud is really simply meaning that you're not going to just go out and write a title policy. Why? Because there's either a property owner that, again, didn't sign off on a deed. Let's say there's a divorce, husband and wife, and then, uh, you know, it got ugly. They went through the whole pr process, but then now one of the spouses, either the husband or the wife, it doesn't matter, or domestic partners, if you would, chooses not to sign off on that deed, even though it's settled. And they're like, well, I want more money or that happened two years ago and it's still pending. There's one good, simple example of a cloud on title or it could be an action. You know, let's say there's a creditor that came on and said, you've got a credit card from four years ago. You know, they record a judgment 
Now they go forward and they record what you see all the time, a list pendants, notice of action. These notice of actions are just like, oh, man, it's just another lien on me. Well, no, it's a cloud. And most title insurance companies won't proceed until you get that cloud. It's like a gray cloud, like what we've been having in California for the past few weeks. Yes. <laughs> Where's the sunshine? So yeah, and, and practically practically speaking there for uh, for the average person, they're not going to be able to sell their property or refinance until these things are resolved, right? That's right. It creates a major problem for a title. So selling, refining, even the simplest thing. So you've got to make sure that title is passing through on that, uh, clears up that cloud on title. Good. It's a very common problem. All right, let's skip over to uh, if you're a, for a lender, let's say, example, and you're looking for title insurance, sometimes there's different types of policies. What's the primary difference between something like what they call an ALTA, ALTA, or a CTLA policy? Why is that of any difference or concern to lenders? Very good question. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Essentially, you've been doing a lot of homework on these things. <laughs> um, think of CLTA as California Land Title Association, um, and then ALTA is American. So when you look at the differences, ALTAs are kind of more the serious side of it. Not the, you know, and lenders will prominent, most likely get the ALT. Now they have an extended ALTA for homeowners too, homeowners ALTA. Hmm. That's American land title. So what that does is uh, from California's perspective, most of the time an owner's policy, an owner will opt to get the CLTA, which is the lender will impose that. So the owner is one, everything that's on record gets to show on a CLTA. Anything that's unrecorded, that's why, to your point, when you're dealing with the differences, an ALTA would be like, wait a minute, if I'm doing a construction loan and I'm the lender, I want to make sure that I have priority. So when we talk about off-record matters, it could be something like as simple as it's a new construction that we used to have when I was a title officer back in the day. We look at these things and go, well, we have to have an inspection that morning to make sure nobody took a shovel to the ground and took up one grain of salt or sand. So if that happens, guess what? You got a priority issue. They broke, so you have a mechanics lien. Right, I'm, I'm, that's, a, that, that's an excellent point. I'm very familiar with that because being back in the days, my first job as a savings and loan, they would actually send, the title company would send someone out there to see if they broke ground, absolutely. Right, and, and people forget about the seriousness of that because now it's a between a mechanics lien for construction loan versus a, back in the day, we'll say 200,000, 300,000, now it could be over a million dollars dealing with priorities. So so ALTA, to, to shore it up for you, is more off-record matters. And yes, it covers a uh, priority like mechanics liens. And then you deal with the CLTA, it's on-record matters. So you want to make sure from a borrower's perspective that the owner's protected against any easements, um, again, lien matters, so that if there's any fraud that invo is involved, it's an on-record matter. Now, it's off-record, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of mileage out of that. So Usually a lender will impose both. They'll say, okay, Mr. Buyer, you, you're going to get an owner's policy. Me as a lender, I'm going to get an ALTA because I want a little bit more protection for my side of the coin so that I'm protected in first position, so to speak. Great. That's very good. Uh, one more little drill down item on that. Uh, how about residential properties where, say, only one spouse is on title? Because there's been a recent Supreme Court case that came down where they they used to say, it's how you held title that would determine this. So if I, Spencer Shear, hold a title of my property my, as my separate property, the way I put it in the deed would govern. And now there's a new Supreme Court case that came out relatively recently called Brace that says that there's also a presumption 
that if you are married, that the community also owns an interest in that property. And that presumption for community property may trump the, uh, the presumption that the title is being held as separate property. Have you, have you seen that in your experience? It's it's another common issue. I mean, I'll use it as a as a, the story goes like this. So we we go on the back end as well as the front end. It's so important to clear these up on the front end. Most of the times when you're dealing with community, it's automatically presumed, especially in California, that it's that it's going to be shared interest, 50-50, right? Domestic or spousal. Yeah. Um, the the exception to that that we've seen is if you are purchased, you've purchased the property before a marriage, before you've actually got together legally as a marriage, um, you can claim it as separate property. And as long as it's done prior to, you're okay. It doesn't automatically become community property. I'm not speaking on, on behalf of law, but from title's perspective, we treat it as, okay, it was prior to, make sure the deed before you get married or you joined her, that you have as sole and separate property for Mr. Spencer's share. Otherwise, you have to deal with that same issue down the line that it's presumed community property. And then it's 50-50%. Let me give you one more hypothetical appreciated wealth of knowledge. Is, uh, let's say I'm married and the property is listed as my sole and separate property on title. I, I'm coming to you, for uh, whether it's uh, as a lender or a title insurance company, and my wife is willing to quit claim off the property, even though it's in my separate name already, but she's willing to say, I, on top of that, I'll execute a quick claim deed of any community property interest I have. Would that be sufficient to allow a separate property loan? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up as a prime example because people do forget that. If you do get a quick claim deed, most of the times they're not title insurance before they'll insure it to a new refire or any kind of process further. We'll make sure that that spouse has relinquished that interest. And a quick claim deed is the most common way to relinquish that interest of the spousal or domestic partner. Great. All right, let's zooming down the highway of title insurance here. What if there's a title claim? You find out that uh, you're, somebody's challenging your fence. The neighbor says, "My fence is uh, your fence is on my property. Or there's a lien here that's not paid or whatever. Do you have to act quickly? You do. That's a, that's a, a very important thing. And, and I, I was talking to some of the colleagues in this that I've seen in the past. And they can go on for years and years, but the rule of thumb is as soon as you have knowledge of that, submit the claim. Submit the claim because what will happen is most title agencies, if you're not an underwriter, will then have to turn it in for processing through the underwriter, which is actually an underwritten title insurance company. So there, there is, uh, we like to use the rule of thumb, if, if the act is found on year one and you wait over two years or three years and you knew about it, then it creates a real problem for the insurability there. But if you know about it on year one and you submit two years is a good rule of thumb. Obviously the best time is as soon as you find out about it, submit your claim. Uh, and they're usually pretty good at processing. And there's exceptions to every rule. Um, I think you quoted uh, some reference when we chatted earlier about a case uh, where there was a denial. Uh, the denial case, if I recall correctly, was a New York case, um, but it en ended up being a, a a public rights situation. Um, and actually in this case, the title company won because there's a general exception there. Any rights, encumbrances, anything like that, or right of ways for, um, you know, any encroachments for public use, anything like that can be accepted out. So they, on that, were able to hang, you know, uh, kind of a, a rejection to the claim. 
because there was no grounds to stand upon with that written exception. So there's always rules to that. Um, always good to have that knowledge up front, but it's like eminent domain. You know, if there's a sidewalk that's going to go through your lot in front of your yard, there's a reservation for that. And that kind of covered that situation. Yeah, very good. Uh, let's just talk a little before we head out of title insurance. I, there's also, there's, there's two real aspects to, at least from my perspective, is there's the duty of the title company or the possible duty for the title company to defend a claim that's raised and then also to insure and pay off if there's damages. So sometimes you'll see where, uh, you know, people discover there's a, a, a title problem or an issue. I, again, they've got to get the claim to the title company immediately, even if it's just to defend against the lawsuit that's been filed against the property. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. I'll use my property as a prime example. Uh, when we first moved in, on a personal note, and we're on a pie-shaped lot, which is in a cul-de-sac, um, and it's very common. It's a matter of a foot, inches, whatever it is, there's a spike. If you go out and look in front of your lot, it's a good way to verify, too. Most of residential homes, you'll go to the curbside, and you'll see a little silver spike like a quarter. And that's kind of where your real property line is when they did, develop or did your lot lines. So it's a good place to inspect. So the, the first thing I noticed was, and it wasn't a big deal because I'm in the title industry when I made this purchase, like, well, I'm going to take a look at it because it's a, it's a pie-shaped lot. Everybody should do this. If you're looking at your home and if you're living in a residential, I mean, obviously it doesn't apply to condos and plan unit developments because there could be on top of each other. But go look at your lot lines. Go out there to your curbside and you'll see a little nickel, if you would, in front of the curbside there along the side. And it'll kind of should show you where the approximate lot line is. Well, when I first moved in, needless to say, in about a week, neighbor comes up, hey, uh, Mr. Fernando, I welcome to the neighborhood. I thought I was going to get some free cookies and some fun stuff to celebrate, greetings. And, and it was very cordial. But by the way, um, I noticed our fence line is you moved in, and it's about a foot off. And I was wanting to plant some rose bushes there. Uh, so I would like for you to make sure we get that adjusted and take care of it as soon as you can. I was like, huh, what? So where's my title company? Yeah. <laughs> and here I am, a title guy. Um, long and short of it is, you know, it's been grandfathered. In. It's been probably, this house is over 50 years old. So when I moved in, it was not a big deal. Nobody really claimed it. And, and it was a matter of, okay, how neighborly can you be? So a foot is a foot. I mean, I could put a nice little trench there and put a rose bush garden or whatever it is, but that goes all the way down your lot line. So as a consumer... And even with this, people that are listening to this, it's not going to hurt to do that. But if you wait too long, as soon as you purchase, submit that claim. There's no reason why you can't. And that goes back to some of your, the questions that I look at from, from claims perspective is, what's the boundary disputes? What are the disputes today that's going to affect your tomorrows? If there, somebody else moves in later and says, oh, wait a minute, I want that one and a half feet or whatever back, then what are you going to do? Move that fence line and give them their space. So there could be issues there. It's good to have title insurance, especially for those types of conditions, not to discount them. That's why, again, it's on record matters versus off record matters. Good, and that's a good example. You brought two things to mind. First, what you brought to mind was uh, when you're saying about all the cookies and the welcome. Remember uh, Welcome Wagon? Yeah. For most people listening, they still think, what? There used to be people that go around the neighborhood and the welcome wagon would come when you moved in and they'd bring you gifts and welcome you to the neighborhood. Right. Long since passed, hasn't it? You know, nowadays you're lucky to know. We're fortunate. We know a lot of our neighbors. We walk a lot. So 
we try to be cordial because it's almost like a neighborhood watch these days. You, you can never be safe enough between fraud, between mail goes out to the wrong places, between Amazon drop-offs. We're all, you know, we're human. We like to do everything online now. So we want to make sure everything is delineated correctly. That's true. Get to know your neighbors. You're your own welcome wagon. Second thing I thought of was in your scenario too, if your neighbor wants to plant the flowers, says, hey, I, I, there's a couple of feet here that I want to use for that. After a certain period of time, if they continue to use it and it's unopposed, open and notorious, and especially if they pay the taxes on that portion of the property, they can claim that they own it by adverse possession. So you're right. You got to move quickly on that. That's right. And, and we, we can say adverse possession, the grandfathered in, whatever you want. It depends on how ugly. If he really wanted to get ugly about it, he could have come back down and said, no, but then you got to look at the cost to move that fence. We literally have a brick fence that separates these lines. On the other hand, you know, it's a, it's a convenience thing. And how ugly do you want it? You're going to be living with this neighbor if it's your long term. Do you want to make it ugly or do you want to make it cordial? We came. We both have dogs and it worked out. Very good. Good to hear. All right, let's switch a little bit here. Let's talk about uh, Property IQ and some of the national settlement services they provide because they, they really, a lot of what you do, I think, is of interest, especially economically, what's going on right now. I think that uh, just as a little bit of background for this, you know, everybody's, you know, hoping the pandemic's over and back to normal, but there is a huge reservoir. Not only was there stimulus and a huge amount of, of uh, capital injected into the system, but there's a tremendous amount, billions of uh, liquidity that is just warehoused right now and that there's been either you know, defaults that haven't been brought out yet or uh, people who haven't been required to pay on commercial and residential loans. So let's talk about some of that. Uh, describe some of the services that Property IQ provides as far as uh, collateral disposition and default management. Sure. Well, you know what? When I was working in the title industry and still am working in the industry, but not everything you have to look at it from an insurance perspective, that's origination to post, right? When it goes back to loss mitigation, what's loss mitigation? If I could ask you, uh, Spencer, would you chime in on that? What would you say? How would you interpret loss mitigation? Uh, depending all the way from residential up to commercial, it's uh, yeah. it's it's the attempt between a borrower and a lender or a borrower, a lender and other creditors to work out a resolution of a default on property. Exactly. So you got to find a middle point. And what I found is it's a niche market. So when PIQ was born, it was all about the back end of maintenance. So when I say maintenance, all these huge loan servicers, all these big banks, you hear about banks going down today with higher regulations and all the oversight. Um, there's a little spot there of all these reserve loans, whether they're selling loans or keeping their portfolios. Um, they have to be maintained and make sure that they're not going into the red where they don't lose money over these, right? So they're mitigating a loss. So with that, they already have a title policy. They own that already. They don't need to pay for it again. So PIQ came up with it. It's nothing new in the industry. It's just not really a big prominent deal with big insurance companies because they've already made their money in the origination side. So on the back end, when you're a lender and you're holding the bag with all these loans and these, this full of portfolio, when there's a percentage of those that are going bad, meaning they're becoming late and delinquent, you want to make sure that you have a product that gives you up to date what's currently going on. So pre-pandemic, everything was great. Rates were super low. Now we saw the last interest rate hike up to 9%. Now credit card rates, they're saying up over 20% now. So when you're dealing with consumers and what's the balance, you're going to put food on your table or you're going to pay your lights or you got to make a choice. So when you start getting into that red zone, 
all these properties, all these loans, and thank God the rates were low, but some people overextended with inflation and everything else going up. Our title, we provide a title report that gives the lender the intel or the knowledge, that's why IQ came into place, to give them exactly what their position is and how many other liens and encumbrances that could be after, or if not cluttering, if you would, the cloud of title, creating any more risk to their portfolio. So if I lent out 600000 to put it in today's California terms over a million dollars, and all of a sudden there's three or $400,000 more of loans in there, that's putting the property upside down automatically. So if you're the lender, you want to make sure you maintain your position. You want to make sure there's nothing else that would create a problem if you want to take back the property that is not going to be upside down because your lien needs to be in first position if you were the originator. And you don't want to make you want to make sure there's no deeds or transfers or no fraud in that case. So our title report gives a very, um, uh, I guess, a precise report, a report that gives the lender that they can it looks like a prelim what you get a title policy for. So PIQ offers that along with evaluation product that makes us a little bit more, I guess, in tune to saying, here's not only your value of today, but here's your lien and encumbrance report. Um, and that's how we navigate a lot of that. So PIQ offers that to a lot of the um, investors as well as the government entities, uh, sometimes law firms as well that are working through files that'll come to us for that service. So you're really giving, I mean, for, to synthesize that, you're giving like a review, a snapshot review analysis and update. So a lender who might be warehousing collateral Correct. for years under forbearance agreements or whatever can, can take a look at, take a peek under the hood and see what they really have, right? That's right. And you, you heard about Credit Suisse in the news, right? Yes. Lately. And you heard some of the bailout money. And I was just reading some articles today. There's over $54 billion coming out. $54 billion through central banks and other investors that are trying to save that. And guess what? One of, that was one of the biggest investors when we do, when there was a sale out, Spencer, of a huge tranche or a huge bulk sale, 2,000, 3,000 loans would be sold like that. And investors, one of them was, I'll use that name because they're all over the news. Um, somebody had a look at those portfolios. So that our reports would provide a great service for them so they know what they're buying. They know what the values are. And they know what to mitigate out of that loss. So that there's a prime example there of how you don't have to pay the high fees of a full title policy again. We do it at a fraction of the cost. That's good. And on a macro level of economically, I appreciate that. It's like I, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, you've got with, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the three major banks that just uh, were taken over or went defunct recently. Uh, those right. are issues where they're holding you know, assets that have declined in value and the balance sheet went red. But again, how, how do we know that, that the same thing isn't taking place with more major commercial banks or even the GSEs holding assets that are way below what they've booked them for, right? Absolutely. I think you hit it a big uh, talking point, not only for the consumers to know because their money is in these different banks. Yes. I'm hearing now there's over 20 banks that are being looked at right now by regulators for that same reason. So don't be surprised in the next few weeks, few months, as they start coming out with these things. And, and a lot of times you don't know what's really real or not, but we know it when you start seeing it, the news, it seems to be the last to report it. So keep your ears to the ground, knowing where your money is at all times. Some people, if you notice, pulled out and shared, spread out their wealth in different banks because they're worried about another SVB collapse. That's right, and I, I saw Bloomberg and uh, some other, uh 
you know, Financial uh, Post put out a tremendous amount of statistics saying that the, the people are completely concerned about the uh, issue of how much is really uh, hidden in assets that have uh, depreciated or are deteriorating. So one other issue is this PIQ fine. Do you ever have problems where you're looking to find collateral? Lenders can't even locate it if it's, uh, say, personal property collateral or the like? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if, Spencer, if I could, I want to also address a little bit further about what you talked about earlier. You asked me about how many would be out there in the millions and the billions. Yes. Um, even though I'm seeing quite a variety of them, we're, I believe we're barely not even tipping the iceberg right now. We're not even a grain of salt of it. So not to scare anybody, but it's a global issue, right? Um, just by the PPP, I ran some numbers and I was looking at this because I was interested to see myself. You know, between 2020 and May 21, there was 11.8 million PPP loans out there. Then if those that haven't heard, what is that? It's just basically a rescue loan to keep, to keep businesses, you know, going. And, and that's not... A small number. That's small business that we know of record, and that's not counting about six hundred six hundred forty nine thousand uh, that are report reportedly with missed payments right now. So let me stop for one second 000. on that because because PPP yeah. brings up a lot of different issues for people. There were some just giveaways Correct. where they just gave you money to keep you going at the early stages. You're talking about Correct. PPP loans where you're required to pay them back over a longer period of time and then they're collateralized. Correct. There's two. There's the PPP, which is forgivable. Mm -hmm. And then there's the idle loan. And that's the injury disaster loans. If you're injured by the pandemic and, you know, I can't speak from a, a legal's perspective, but from a consumer's and as a small business myself, you, you look at what's happening because we get these flyers and I'm sure you do too. You get these emails from different entities. So the idle loans are just an extended term for making sure your company's running and your business is keeping you up, but you do have to pay that back. And you saw where some people got in trouble in some of the news things where they were lavishly spending on ex exotic cars and big vacation yes. homes and all that. So kind of gotten out of control. So on that note, just to unravel a lot of that stuff, kind of the segue to what you mentioned about unsecured stuff, we've had some interesting things come through um, that is not necessarily tied into real property. And one of them actually is different, uh, you know, personal values, like we talked about exotic cars and whatever, but we've seen some stuff all the way up to yachts and boats and fun stuff like that, which uh, PIQ was like, well, we're title guys. We do title reporting. So we were able to look at some of these properties and we do it on a national level. So I had a lot of connections to help us with that resources that would literally go and do a valuation check on these yachts. And these are tied into some of these, uh, these loans. So that's a kind of a screwball deal, but you learn from it, you know? So let me let me drill down just a bit on that. Were any of these loans, like not the idle loans, but I think the other PPP loans, did they, yeah. did the uh, entities that issued these, the, uh, the GSEs that were either backed by the local banks or the regional banks or the GSEs themselves, take collateral on these loans? Or are they looking now just to see if there's assets for these businesses that can be used to satisfy an unsecured loan? They're, they're actually looking now after the fact, because remember, it's a knee-jerk reaction. And a lot of these entities that saw the availability of these funds took advantage. And, and sight unseen, you could have, um, just using a, a prime example of what we run into, because they record, a lot of these are not traditional banks. They're, they're guaranteed by government funds. So there's obviously a backing there. So 
you could go to Wells. I'm going to use a bank as an example. You can use a, 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 you know, a local community bank. All these guys, we, we actually call them CDCs. You know, they're just uh, certified development um, companies, certified development companies that would help, help rescue communities. These are, these are actually, uh, the monies go through them, but they're backed by a government, literally a government funds. So when they go through this, when there's a disaster like what happened in the pandemic, they're just throwing out money. I don't want to water that down, but you do have to show that you're a valid company. But they were moving so fast, you can't vet. It's, it's impossible to vet everybody. And you could say you're working out of, you know, a corner or a closet with a laptop and a business that's showing up billions of dollars. Okay, what? how many employees do you have? Are they all remote? Boom. How much do you need? You know, show me the numbers. That's where a lot of a lot of these entities you saw you saw on TV that were called in. I'd say a good majority of them that were exposed, we haven't hit the tip of them. So when we're doing reviews for our title reports, not all of them are connected to real property, Spencer. So there's a danger there. A, a prime example of monies being available that's somewhat abused because they use the pandemic as a as a way to, uh, to abuse that system. Uh, you know that's going on out there. Could you get any war stories in that? Did you ever locate, you find collateral that uh, uh, the gold doubloons buried in uh, Taiwan somewhere? Or if you got any stories of that uh, would be interesting for uh, Yeah, uh, you know, there's, there's an interesting one. I, I'm going to go back to the title side of it because I think it's important to share. You, we talked about the rose bushes, but on a bigger scope, um, we did a file out there in, in Ohio, and it seemed to be a fairly good size, you know, piece of property over eight acres, give or take, you know, there's a multiple, it's a retail center. And there was actually four parcels. Um, they sold three parcels out of the four subdivided. And uh, it's been over 10 years and there was a lease agreement. And then the lender behind it was backing, it was a government entity. Um, they were trying to get that third part out of four parcels. There was one remaining that was never really accounted for. And that fourth one was they were wanting to get a partial release on it. And through our title resources and our appraisal, that's what makes it nice because you look at both. And you figured out that wasn't counted for. There was a modification. Everybody overlooked that parcel. Um, so what I did in the interim is just try to figure out drawing it out and say what it is that's missing. But end of the day, uh, Spencer, it wasn't like a big, big uh, computer that's hiding here or something in Taiwan. But what ended up happening is that fourth parcel had over 175 grand in collectibles now that they they meaning the lender could have completely written off by signing that partial release so those are that's a prime uh, i guess when you look at the war stories outside of flashiness of boundary disputes um divorce type cases probates uh we've had scenarios back to the war stories again that's why it's good. I mean, talk about Spencer. You, you're a law firm. You deal with many different aspects of it, and I'm sure you've seen it where you have boundary disputes. But when you're dealing with probate and you have these advanced loans that happen, and all of a sudden, you know, there's hands coming out going for payoff on a sale. From our side, we look at the title report, and we are our job is to report what's on record. But if it's not there, and there's no trust or nothing on record, they got to get a good attorney to solve that, unravel it, and figure it out, you know, like a probate attorney. Have you seen very many of those on your side? Because we're trying to unravel from title, and we can't unless we have you as a good friend that <laughs> could come up with that. 
I've had a few. I mean, again, discretion is the better part of uh, ethics and valor, but I can't <laughs> I tell you. I knew you were going to say that. But okay. I've, got a, I've got a few cases right now. And again, they, they often come up in the title context where there's a dispute as to whether or not it's community or separate property or whether or not a particular entity does succeed as a successor to the borrower when they're setting up various trusts or entities. But yes, many of them. And just to tag on to that, too, it's important when you're reading your title policies um, for the consumers out there, look at your owners, look, make sure that all the liens is what you actually have, because sometimes later on, you're going to see this in this marketplace. Unlike seven, 2007, remember all those modifications that came out, loan modifications? Now, with the interest rates as low as they've been, what are you going to modify it to? You know, we've seen loan extensions from a 30-year to a 40-year you know, a 50. And I had recently somebody approached me and said, Randy, I have a new CalHafa deal that's coming up, California loan, basically, that's helping new buyers get 100% financing again. You know, history repeats itself. It's almost like, oh, no, don't, please, not again. So you look at that, it's setting up for, uh, as history repeats itself, a failure with that. So uh, we're hoping that all that is regulated strongly and wisely with good discretion, uh, because at the end of the day, you know, you don't want a repeat of seven again. And I'm hoping, I don't think it'll happen again, but I think we're pretty darn close to it as it is because you, what you worse to modify anymore except for extend a loan. Yeah, bring it back to 70s. I mean, beyond uh, the Beach Boys and Joe Walsh, just, <laughs> you, you just brought back a bunch of thought. Because really what man. happened, when I when I was coming up through the ranks, they had, uh, what you know, because a, a spinoff of what you just discussed, uh, many people bought at inflated prices over the last, say, three or four years, but they've got incredibly yeah. low interest rates. And back when I was first starting out, again, SNL territory savings and loan, mm -hmm. the right of you to be able to assume that loan and take over the low interest rates was critical. And there were lawsuits. California had an oh, old yeah. case called Wellencamp that would allow you basically to either take over or not take over a loan. And that was as good as gold. So they remedied that what, via what they call the Garn Bill which allows lenders in most instances to enforce their due on sale clauses. So if you're selling wow. a property and a borrower just can't come in or a new owner can't just come in and assume a great loan with a 2% rate on it, with the exception of certain mm -hmm. classes of successors that are defined under the Garn Bill. Like for example, if the husband dies, the wife can succeed without the lender calling mm -hmm. the loan due and keep that mm -hmm. loan. Uh, transfer to a trust. There's certain other uh, familial transfers that are exempt from the lender calling the loan due. But again, that's becoming a battleground too, because you said, and that's very true, that the ability to be able to refi now or to do a workout when the rates are heading to nine, 10, 15% on hard money yeah. loans or higher, that's critical. That's gonna cause uh, such an absence of liquidity that again, third shoe to drop if there is one. Absolutely, absolutely. And if I could just expand that out, you touched on this earlier and I didn't wanna get passed by it because it's important that we talk about the commercial loans that are out there. Have you, uh, what I've seen on that, we're seeing such a mixed bag right now. I talked to some of my commercial appraisers in the last few days just to see what they're hearing and what they're seeing out there. And uh, especially, so I have some guys in uh, Northern Cal as well as what's happening in the East Coast. And I have one today in Illinois that's coming up. But, um, you know, all the entertainment and hospitality businesses, and then now with this whole pandemic, um, plan of working from home and, and that kind of stuff. You don't you imagine the office space and the retailers versus, you know, what's happening in the hospitality space. The reason I'm bringing it up is we've all kind of, kind of gotten accustomed to working from home. 
And the average office clerks and so on like that, it's become a thing where it's called a hybrid role now. So what's happening to these big modular buildings where office, you know, commuters would go in and stuff like that? It's gone to twice a week, maybe, hybrid roles. Um, so they're shrinking down. With you shrinking down that office capacity, you're going to leave suites wide open. So right. when the loans guy. roll over, the commercial loans right now are rolling over for refi and they don't have the uh, the the cash flow the to rents. support it. You're right. Yeah. And the leases that are coming in. So this is our own backyard. I mean, we've seen big chain companies go down. I mean, I think that's a trickle down effect and everything else. It's saving some costs in one sense for businesses. But when you have to consolidate and you liquidate and you look at it and you go, okay, we had 27,000 square feet of office space. Now we have to cut it down to 15,000. What are they going to do with that? Well, the hybrid role between working from home and then you have the idea of retailers that are now going, well, wait a minute, there's the Amazon concept. You know, people can buy everything online. Why do you have to go up? I mean, there's so many different aspects of it, but the commercial, I believe, is going to be hit very hard. I mean, I have some numbers that we ran up, but that's for a different day we could discuss. But there's, I believe, is a big, big um, turnover in that market as well that's coming. So we kind of, that's why loss mitigation and doing your reporting now is very, very important. You don't want to get in the spot where you're holding the bag going, well, why didn't we see this coming? How many leases were terminated? And how many have expired? And that kind of stuff. So it's all related to title as well. But at the end of the day, you know, we need a good firm out there to make sure that all this is balanced. Well said. I appreciate that. All right, I was coming in for a landing now. Tell people, uh, again, if uh, PIQ, Property IQ, if they need your services, how would they find you in PIQ? Well, thank you for that. Once again, thank you for hosting and inviting me to join Spencer. I've had a long-term business relationship with you guys and Thank you for the opportunity. So PIQ is pretty much everything when you look at mitigation and loss is making sure that everything's up to speed. When you think of IQ, you're thinking of a smart way to solve your problems when it comes to title, whether it's curative work, whether it's lean position, or whether it's valuation. Everything to protect your assets. Do it well with property IQ. Good, that's well said. Go. Do you have a website <laughs> or you wanna announce the, uh, where can I find you on the web? Okay, uh, you can find us on piqnational.com. That's P is in property, IQ, national.com. And then you'll see some information there between our valuation services as well as our title services. We have a network of very good uh, real estate agents as well as appraisers. And then we also have services that are involved in inspections. I'm sure you've seen what's happening in, in the Western states with moratoriums, all that over. Now they want to make sure there's no problems with extended squatters and properties that are going to be vandalized. We want to make sure so we offer inspection services too to protect your your collateral so that you're looking at it that it's not going to be completely gone by the time you want to collect and turn it over. So from when we look at it from beginning to end, it's loss mitigation, valuations, and then finally the REO aspect of it. So we have the maintenance side of it. And if you're looking for a good firm to protect all that, we have a great partner with Spencer as well. <laughs> thank you. Unnecessary, but well appreciated. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate that. Good talking well, to you. You've been you. a wealth of, of information, and uh, I, I hope uh, we aren't talking about the six months from now and seeing that all the other shoes did drop. It won't. And if it does, you have the hands here to protect that as well. Very good. All right. All right. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. Thank you, Spencer. I'll good talk day. to you soon.
Truth Serum wants to thank Iron Oak Home Loans for becoming a sponsor of the Truth Serum podcast. Iron Oak is a full-service portfolio private money lender, and it's a servicing company. It's located in San Ramon, California, helping its investors to achieve maximum return by investing primarily in California real estate. For borrowers, not all borrowers have AAA credit, and sometimes you need a lender who understands and who can get you a loan when you need Great service and great people. If you want more information, go to www.ironoak1.com. That's www.ironoak1.com. Thank you for listening to Sheer Law Group's podcast, Truth Serum, law, real estate, and everything else that matters. For more on the law, go to www.shearlawgroup.com or contact Spencer or Joshua Shear. For more info on real estate, see your real estate broker or agent. Don't forget to mow your lawn, trim your hedges, and pay your mortgage. For more information on everything else that matters, read good books, cultivate good friends that you can share ideas with, pray often, and do not place your hopes in governmental institutions. Write Spencer Shear if you want to argue the points made in this podcast. Finally, this podcast cannot be relied on as legal advice, and SLG disclaims any responsibility for the ideas presented. See an attorney if you have issues or problems related to the subjects mentioned in this podcast. Adios, amigos!